Welcome to the STEM Squadcast. This is episode two. It's very exciting. Three. <laughs> this is episode three. <laughs> very excited. We've had some big gaps in time in between episodes, unfortunately, while yeah. we've been getting the hang of all of this. Um, but this is Jen O'Callaghan, and I'm here with... And I'm Jamie Luce. Um, on for episode three. Yeah. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about black holes today. Yes. One of the most exciting things really in nature. Jen and I were talking about this before we started, that as a mathematician myself, as we remember the M of STEM, mm. that's me. Um, one of the things that is so exciting is when infinity com becomes involved in any of the equations that we see that define our universe. And black holes is certainly a place where infinity is involved. And that's exciting. It's like the edge of our thinking system. It is. It's very exciting. Um, I, I have to admit, whenever I think of infinity, I think of like the insults on the playground where you say like... <laughs> Jigs, double jigs, triple jigs, infinity, or whatever. Infinity plus one. Yeah. Infinity times infinity. That was always my go-to. <laughs> um, Which we could do a whole podcast just on the states of infinity. I know. I feel like um, we keep planning these spinoff podcasts. Yeah. Because uh, last time I think it was the grammar Nazi. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which if that isn't one, it should be. Yes. Um so this is the, it's actually December 26th and we're back down in the podcast dungeon with the hope of getting this out uh, fairly quickly, um, which at this point is anything less than two months, <laughs> <laughs> but we're working on it. Um, it's a big learning curve. Um, so did you want to dive right into black holes or did um, I had thrown a few other things that I thought were kind of cool? Yeah, I was going to say there's some really cool news articles out there right now in STEM, including one about black holes. So why don't you get started with our uh, Miss America yeah, article. so I was really excited to read the news about Miss America, um, which is uh, pageants are just kind of one of those things that I, I haven't felt have really come with us into the 21st century. Um, and yet um, Camille Schreier, uh, who was, I believe, Miss Virginia, um, I didn't actually watch the pageant, but she's definitely um, a student at Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, she's a 24-year-old scientist earning her doctor of pharmacy there. Um, and I, just, to, just to make sure that I cite this, I'm getting this from an article from Scary Mommy. Um, <laughs> so hopefully scarymommy.com is a reputable news source. Um, I think it is, though, because I've seen this a, a few different places. Um, so she actually, for her talent portion, did a um, science experiment, and um, she was wearing a white lab coat, which I think was kind of funny because uh, we're kind of, I think, trying to get away from this image of a scientist as only being a person mm -hmm. in a lab coat. But I think um, in episode two, we talked a lot about meeting people where they are. And I do think um, the Miss America pageant, even though I don't think it enjoys the same audience level it once did, it still gets uh, a fair amount of attention. Right. And, and the winner most certainly has um, a chance to really, 
you know, take their um, message and right. um, be an ambassador. Um, so she said, science is all around us. I've loved science since I was a little girl. It's my mission to show kids that science is fun, relevant, and easy to understand. And then she poured potassium iodide into three flasks containing hydrogen peroxide, food coloring, and dish soap. Um, and then it all started foaming and exploding. Um, and she didn't warn people not to try this at home. Um, but the judges loved it. And she did become Miss America, um, which she said in one of the questions um, later on, um, they, they asked her what they, people might make fun of Miss America. Um, and she said, I think that what I'm doing by being a woman of science and redefining what it means to be Miss America in 2020 is how I deal with those people. I've had people that don't think that what I do is necessarily a talent, but you know what? Miss America is someone that needs to educate, be able to communicate with everyone, and that's what I do as a woman of science. And we need to show that Miss America can be a scientist and that a scientist can be Miss America. Um, and I kind of love that because I love the idea that you don't have to choose one thing. Yeah. Um, I thought that one of the things that I liked about it, well, there were two things that struck me when I saw the article. One was that I really liked that she was wearing the lab coat uh -huh. because it, from the pictures that I saw, and I, I too didn't watch the, the competition, but I saw plenty of pictures and it looked like it was an experiment where you would want to be safe. Oh, yes. And so I really liked that she didn't try to overthink kind of that process of like, I'm doing something that actually does need to have some relative personal protective equipment. And I, it would have been very disingenuous for her to be in like, a you know, for example, a wedding gown or like an evening gown oh, no. or her bathing suit or something I, like I'm that. I'm super so. glad she wasn't in her bathing suit. <laughs> so I was really happy that she, um, she wasn't, and, and it wasn't like she blinged it up it wasn't like she made it a fashion statement. It was just like, this is a functional thing that goes along with this other task that I'm doing. Um, and the other thing I really liked is that um, that she made a science experiment into a talent, which is when you think about when, as she said, like, oftentimes you don't think of that as a talent. Like if you are a student or you're a young person and you think like, what are my talents? You don't, I'm not sure that many of us would go in that direction. And I just love that she made something that was, that potentially could be kind of seen as like boring or not interesting into this like show of, um, you know, something that's, that it does, it does, you do have to have talent to do those kinds of things. Um, and I, th I thought that was really, I thought it was awesome that she went in that direction for her talent. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, I, I, I should retract <laughs> what I said earlier about the lab coat because I, I agree. I think it was appropriate in this. Yeah. Um, but I just mean overall, we, we've, we've talked about how um, a lot of times when people think of scientists, that's the only image right. that they get. But in this case, I think it was, it was appropriate right. for the setting. Um, but also because, like you said, um, putting the uh, – accessible accessibility of the um experiment in right in front of as a talent when people wouldn't normally think of that right. as a talent was was really just wonderful so i'm rooting for her um, yeah me too yeah it was i i felt like it was somebody personally not being a person who tends to be a member of pageants although i will say i did win a pageant when i was young oh um, i'm sorry <laughs> 
Um, We're going to need to hear a little bit more about that. The, um, but I but I do, I, I felt connected with her when I saw the pictures and, and read her, her the article about her. I was thinking, that's someone I'd want to know. That's someone that I would want to look up to. So I was really, it was very exciting to me because I felt, you know, typically when I see articles or hear things, I just feel like that's a lifestyle that I don't understand or take could ever take part in or that they, you know, whatever. Yes. And, and because she'll be Miss America into 2020 and we're at the end of 2019, I think that um, it's, a, it's kind of a good segue. Um, one of the other stories that I've been super eager to talk about is um, Stella the Talking Dog. And I have been so fascinated. Um, when I went to college, I was actually really interested in speech and language pathology. And I don't remember what <laughs> steered me off into Russian. Um, <laughs> Cold War ending. Um, but uh, a speech language pathologist named Christina Hunger, who's 26, has been teaching her Catahoula Blue Healer Mix um, That's and, a mouthful. And, by I know, the way. I know. <laughs> and that was a dog breed, if in case anybody no, was that's wondering. Two oh. dog breeds. So Christina Hunger, who's twenty six, and her her dog, who I, I think is still under a year old, so I think that's still puppy ter- territory. She's been um, documenting, um, teaching Stella how to talk using this soundboard, and she and her significant other um, record a word. Um, that goes with each sound uh, button and so they'll teach the word and kind of use their their foot to um, activate the button and Stella hears the word and um, I'm trying to think of some of the words like there's outside okay um, play um, happy and um, as you go through either the blog or her um, Instagram feed um you can see that uh, Stella uh, not only recognizes the words, but she's starting to put them together herself. Um, oh, interesting! And it's it's so fascinating because um, it, it, I, it. I mean, I'm obsessed with my dog. I'm so obsessed with my dog that this year, <laughs> Santa brought me a lap blanket with a giant artist rendering of our dog. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm ridiculously, uh, ridiculously obsessed with our dog, um, Casey. And um, I I always think that she understands mm-hmm. more, even if she doesn't always listen. I, I think she always understands. Um, but it's really fascinating because Stella, um, at one point, one of the, the word buttons wasn't working and you could see her getting frustrated. Oh, interesting. It. And another time... Um, she had figured out that Christina's significant other had pulled into the driveway and was saying that he was outside using the buttons um, and that she wanted she wanted something before she went to bed. I think it was a toy. Um, so it's it's just incredibly fascinating that um, I, I just think back to that far side cartoon where they it's like if dogs could talk, what would the translation be? <laughs> it's just, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Hey, hey. <laughs> but obviously there's a lot more happening yeah. and, and this feels like real evidence to me. It's a Catahoula Blue Healer mix and um, Christina's Instagram feed is hunger for the um, number four. So hunger for words. Um, but her blog is at hungerforwords.com. And then the last news story, I want to 
wanted to mention was um, the, because I just kind of surprised. Jamie's so wonderful. She sent like this Google Doc like <laughs> six million years ago with everything she wanted to talk about. I think like 20 minutes ago, I was like, oh crap, I should put this stuff on the whiteboard um, in the Google Doc. But um, December 11th, Science Magazine had an article um, by Frankie Shembri um, that was talking about how um, hundreds of scientists from the Deep Carbon Observatory say that their um, decade-long study looking for life in boreholes um, and underwater drill sites has revealed the deep biosphere is home to billions of microorganisms. Whoa. Yes. So I just thought that was so amazing because, uh, I mean, that there's just life we haven't even... And imagined yet and yeah. can't possibly fathom. And I I wanted to bring it up because I thought it would be a good segue into your black holes. Right. Because um, it, we don't really know what's out there in that vast expanse of space, but we also still don't really know what's here on our own planet. And it's just mind boggling to me. Yeah. So it's a short article that's actually it looks like it derives um, largely from an article in the guardian um so and i keep touching my phone but it's a screenshot so that's not gonna help <laughs> t for technology <laughs> um so i was hoping that would be um a good segue into our main topic of the yeah. evening which is black holes yeah and the, so one thing that happened kind of in the last couple of weeks in terms of black holes in the news is that one of the biggest black holes that we've ever discovered has been found mm -hmm. and so there's lots of theories out there out there about how big black holes could get or or what um you know what their real size is compared to our own sun um, because that's kind of our that's the all that we really have to compare it to and typically, really big black holes exist only in the center of galaxies. So, for example, the center of the Milky Way galaxy is like this giant black hole. But they just found this really big one, like bigger than any we've ever found before. But it's the problem is it's not in the center of a galaxy. Oh. And that is a little bit mind-boggling for a number of reasons because if it's not the center of the galaxy that means that something bigger than it is it's what? revolving around so that's kind of crazy to think about if we've found something that's bigger than we thought is possible but then that means that something bigger is what it's revolving around and it sort of puts in perspective our lack of understanding of truly deep space because we don't we all we really understand is what we think we know or what we can theorize about or what we can sort of set up tiny little experiments here on earth to prove right but we really have no idea what's out there or what like the size of the universe that's out there so it's really for me that was a big article for in the last couple of weeks that does segue us into the black holes conversation yeah did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was actually published yesterday. Oh. Um, um, 
Christmas Day by Enrico de Lazaro in um, Sci News. Astronomers witness extremely powerful black hole outburst in distant galaxy cluster. Um, so um, using the Chandra, Chandra? X-ray observatory, astronomers have spotted an unusual outburst activity in the center of SPT CLJ052853 00 or SPT0528 for short. Mm, got it. <laughs> um, so it's a galaxy cluster located um, about 6.7 billion light years away. Um, and I just thought that was s- super interesting. And I feel like it's the second time this in the last quarter of this year. Yeah, last quarter of mm-hmm. this year that there's been unusual activity emanating from um, a black hole that science scientists have observed and mm-hmm. haven't really known what was happening so it kind of dovetails into what you were saying about we don't really know we're only theorizing yeah um but i can't obviously um find that other bit that i wanted to look up because it's just the black holes have run in the news a lot mm-hmm. um but i do remember um seeing the oh here it is um in september 18th um New type of black hole activity discovered in dramatic galaxy transformation. Mm. Um, I remember that one. Yeah. That was exciting. It was, yeah. And it, it, I don't, I don't think that any of us really even know what to theorize around some of this activity. Right. Um, It's sort of like, we don't know what we don't know. Another thing that, um, another part of our episode is our STEM heroes. Yes. And so... I, I feel like you actually have you kind of brought up too just in the um in the news stories yes for Miss America and for our talking dog experiment. Which... So is Stella the hero or Christina Hunger? Oh, either way. I just which how crazy is that last name? I yeah. mean, awesome hunger for words. Sorry. Yeah, I can't see the glare on the whiteboard is right at her name, so I. Oh, Can't quite Christina it, Hunger. Christina Hunger. So I felt like those are great ones. And you're so good at picking ones who are um, more current. And both of mine so far have been Isaac Newton, long gone. And uh, mine really? tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends. Um, I mean, he's not like 6.7 billion years long gone. No. So maybe he's just recently gone. Um, That's right, because in in the geologic time span of Earth, he's like a teenager. Like just (laughs) yesterday, he was here. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know what made me think of this, but David and I totally just binged watched The Mandalorian and Baby. I'm I'm obsessed with Baby Yoda. Mm. Like that's the only reason I wanted to see it. And mostly because of that meme of him eating soup with... (laughs) That people are like me with my hot jockey about to watch True Crime <laughs> documentary. <laughs> Sorry, um, but anyway, because I guess he's supposed to be like fifty years old. Um, even Baby Yoda. Even Baby Yoda. Yeah. Wow. Which I don't even think he's actually a Baby Yoda. I think Yoda oh. is like the name, like oh. the proper name. Here comes David to correct uh, me. It was the, the, the 
the, the theory is the species ages a lot slower than what a normal human would. Right, but is is Yoda his proper name or is Yoda the species name? Like, is it Yoda the blank? Yoda is, I believe, I'm probably going to have to edit this out. <laughs> I believe Yoda is the male and then there's a name for female. Oh. We don't know if this uh. is... Everybody's saying Baby Yoda, but we don't know. It's not Baby Yoda, because in the, in the time frame, Yoda is in the swamp place. I can't remember the name of the planet, but this is another, this is an offspring of Yoda. Oh. Is, what, is it like... Wait, so the one in the the one who trained Luke Skywalker was like Gramp was like a, a forefather to the one yes. in the Mandalorian? Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's and that everybody's kinda like, Well, how is this possible? And, you know, what yeah. did this happen? And da, da, da. science fiction. Yeah, science yeah. fiction. That's how it's possible. Just, yeah. And Plus we only see Yoda in the Star Wars film for potentially Maybe 10 years, maybe, maybe 20 years, if you put it all together in, like, the human time frame. Right. So, and he was 800 years old, so a lot of years to be doing things other than what we see him doing, certainly. Doing things. (laughs) Brown, chicken brown, cow. (laughs) Sorry. He had had several families in the 780 other years. It's so unfortunate that I'm mentally I'm stuck at like 13 year old, <laughs> 13 years old. So I can't help it. Um, anyway, there was a point. Oh, I also I just need to say that um, David showed me a meme of um, Baby Yoda next to um, Gizmo. The um, oh, oh, I made that one. You made that one. I made that one. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, wow. <laughs> Um, what was he? A Mount Mogwai? Yes, Mogwai. Um, before you feed him after midnight. Right, right. Um, and Gremlin. The head. Thank you. But I think the fuzzy one was called a Mogwai. Oh, okay. I, I like have a very strong memory of him going, "I'm a Mogwai. I'm a Mogwai." It's <laughs> my little Gizmo impression. <laughs> right, light. Um, but their heads are exactly the same. Yeah, like exactly the same. Like I'm really curious now if they use the same mm-hmm. puppet. Oh, interesting. Model. Are they say, owned by the same production company? I don't know. Um, I just always assumed Jim Henson was involved because Frank Oz yeah. and Jim Henson had right. um, worked together so much and he was the voice of Yoda. Right, right. The original Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> Not the chicken nugget. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just felt like extra original, extra crispy. I don't know where my mind just went. Um I'm going to blame the cold medicine. Uh, so we got off the topic of black holes. Yeah. And down well, it is a, actually black holes kind of ties into the, the pop culture of black holes, kind of does tie into Star Wars, which is one of the references that I find fascinating about black holes. It, it, it is related a little bit, I, I think, because they jump to hyperspace all the time. Yes. Where there's never really like a... a or at least not in my memory, I'm sure we can find a reference of time where they say we're traveling at the speed of light. Mm. You just jump to light speed or jump to hyperspace. Right. And so the vision on the screen are the stars in the distance. What you would imagine scientifically, if it were possible, would be what stars would look like if you were traveling at the speed of light, right? Because you would be like catching up to there. Where the stars were like these white streaks right. instead of these pinpoints. Right. Yeah. So you'd be like traveling with them at the same speed. So they would 
right like their tail would leave they would leave a tail maybe oh. i don't know so but that's it but the concept of traveling at the speed of light for us as like human beings is a little bit difficult because something really magical happens when you get to the speed of light according to einstein at least right like mm. his e equals mc squared right so the constant in that is the speed of light but what happens when you get to the speed of light there's like a relationship between energy and mass that is that they have to become equal so it's like if you were to travel at that speed like what state would you be in and in star wars there kind of is no reference to that state they just like jump to hyperspeed and jump out of hyperspeed hyperspace in another place but what happens to them in, in between. between and we don't know I just imagine like Mike TV from Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I need um, people who have actual STEM experience. <laughs> yeah, the disclaimer on tonight's podcast is that neither of us are black hole experts. No, we're not just fascinated with the concept of it. Super fascinating. I mean, they, right. I mean, they are really fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I got distracted with the baby yoda stuff um yeah. that you were about to tell us oh, about. about my stem hero for this week yes. that's right so her name is jocelyn bell burnell mm -hmm. and she um is still alive but we should check that i'm pretty sure she is like 99 percent um she discovered neutron stars and pulsars when in a time when again we lived in a different time when women weren't necessarily recognized for their, you know, they weren't recognized necessarily as scientists or computer scientists or engineers. Right. Um, and we still struggle with that today, obviously. Um, and she, but she did not get the Nobel Prize at the time. It was actually given to the, she was, it was, she was while she was doing her PhD. Right. And so when you publish a paper scientifically, your advisor gets first name, of course. And... It was given to her advisor, the Nobel Prize that year. And so she's been given it, given the Nobel Prize since that time for her discovery of neutron stars. And when she was, she, when she was given it at the, at the time, m many years later, she said, you know, I, I was never upset about it at the time because he was my advisor right. and that's just how science works. And um, and when she did win, she donated her money to make sure that other young women could have a future in science, oh. which I think is just amazing for someone who has been studying science her whole life. Um, you know, some people like made huge um, discoveries in places that were, you know, basically unknown in right. the deep space. Um, and then but was in her heart is really passionate about the same things that you and I are passionate about, which is paving the way for other young women or minorities to get involved in places where they we may not have recognized them in the past. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. And when did she win? Uh, she well, she didn't the she was the she the acknowledgement. The acknowledgement happened, I believe, in the late in like the eighties. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so recently, but she just made the discovery in the sixties, I think. Oh my gosh! When she was uh, in her doing her PhD. Yeah, I love that um, that message about kind of taking the ladder and turning it right. Which I'm not. That's not my. Um, 
and I just said it badly. It's not my metaphor. Um, I actually was was hoping we could talk about uh, the girls in tech, a CEO who um, wrote the editorial about how 2020 can be a tipping point for women in STEM mm. in, in TechCrunch. Um, and it's kind of a, a look ahead. Um, at, and she gives advice on things that women can do to to lift up other women. And one of the things that she says is is to, um, at, you know, as you're climbing up the ladder, make sure you turn around and, and send right. it back down for um, other women. That's again. a great analogy. Yeah, I hope I just didn't butcher it. <laughs> I guess I'm like <laughs> trying to remember. Metaphor? I guess a better, better metaphor. Metaphor is better. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I, and I do understand that's just the way science works but sometimes I think it's also important to question why um why it works a certain way if it keeps leaving um certain populations Mm -hmm. um behind the scenes and and I think that it's great that she got the recognition I think history is sort of getting expanded to include some of those right um, I think NASA the NASA movie I think of the, the hidden figures yep um, but I, I do think that they're much like her at the time. They may not have questioned it or, right, or right. upset about it, but it is important to have those role models recognized for their contributions right. and, and right. also to inspire the generations that are following them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when we think about black holes, lots of people think, like, what are they? Like, where do they exist? Like, when do they come into being? So basically, a star, like our sun, also has a lifespan, which is kind of weird to think about because for us as humans, like when you mentioned before, when you look at a snapshot of the space of the actual time continuum that we're aware of, like the sun has been pretty much exactly the same for the amount of time that humans have been on this planet. And... So to imagine that it could have another state is a little bit like, mm, like, where's your proof of that kind of nonsense, right? Like, similar to when people thought the world was flat, like that was their reality. So why would you ever think that it was anything but that, right? There are still people who think the world is flat. <laughs> no, for real. No, there are. That's true. It's very upsetting. <laughs> But at least we could, you as a human being on this planet, you could prove to yourself, even if you didn't want to, you could still prove to yourself that it's not, right? Like you could actually go all the way around the world yes. in 2019. Yes. And there's no real way that anybody could say like the sun is any different now than it was 4 billion or 8 billion years ago, or that it's going to be any different in 4 billion or 8 billion years because we're not there right? and we don't have any data from that time. But let's pretend that the theory is correct and that stars have lifespans. So they start, you know, small and gather dust and gravity and all that and turn into these gas giants. And then they're like our current sun, which is great because it's warm um, and it's light. And that's awesome. But then someday it's going to actually burn out, which is kind of weird to think about that it could like run out of energy. Yeah. Um, because we we even think that sometimes there are people on this planet that think we have unlimited energy on this planet, and that's obviously not, not true. true. So the sun will eventually burn out, and it there it could become when stars burn out, they have the chance 
And it's almost like a like like your goal in life, like do I become a black hole or do I become more like a neutron star? So what's gonna happen? <laughs> we don't know. So but some stars become black holes and some stars become neutron stars. Basically they just kind of burn out and turn into like these big like rocks basically like kind of floating around. Again, disclaimer, no one's an expert on this panel, on this STEM squad episode tonight. <laughs> De- definitely not me. <laughs> not me either. <laughs> so then, so a black hole is when a star dies and, right. and turns into a black hole. And it, it, so there's like, black holes are interesting because um, we, as humans, we want to say like, point to it and be like, there's the black hole, like right there, like that one spot. But there's really, it's really hard to say where the edge of the black hole begins and where space kind of ends because the transition between those spaces are challenging to, you know, to kind of draw lines. Yeah, It's similar to if we looked out kind of any portion of our world when you think about where is the defined edge of this thing you know even as like human beings where you could like touch you know your hand to something but when really like on the molecular level where do we end and where does something else begin it's hard to say so black holes are kind of similar to that like their transition periods are or transition systems are hard to define um but you could theoretically travel into one although we never have, but there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of black holes have a lot of gravity. That's what kind of is the power behind that space. Um, but I have to read this sentence because it was one of my favorite ones as I was reading more about them. This is where gravity and density are infinite and space time extends to infinity. So space time extending to infinity, it seems kind of crazy. David's passing notes in class. <laughs> I was just curious as to where they go. Oh, yeah. Well, We're going to have to give David his I own know, microphone. I know. I feel like David was, needs a microphone. No, because I think when you're a simple creature like me, oh. <laughs> who remembers the movie Black Hole and it's like this yeah. infinite like, suction thing, you yeah. know, gravity, and it's like eating up all this stuff and right like robots in there and stuff yeah like it's that. like but everything like, in there where does it where does it go yeah it's a, i feel like that's a great question one of the ways that, that i like to think about it, well so first of all no one knows like where where do you go if you went into a black hole and most of the theory out there says that like you'd actually be stretched apart into like zillions of pieces because the gravity on every piece of you would be interacting with the gravity of all the other things around you so mm-hmm. like you'd want to kind of disintegrate almost i've heard that theory actually a couple years ago we went to the discover well probably like six years ago now to the um shepherd mcauliffe um discovery center you may have fallen asleep (laughs) 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 and i want to say it was there was this thing they talked about called spaghettification yeah which i remembered that word because i was like because yum yum (laughs) Um, but I, I thought that that was associated with, yeah, I have to do a quick, um, but it's the idea that you would just basically like, <laughs> yeah, we're both doing the exact same arm motions, which none of you can see because podcasts are not a visual medium. <laughs> 
but you would turn into spaghetti basically right. yeah 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 and the the crazy thing about black holes i think um well i mean one of the many is that if because of relativity it depends on where you're at and where your viewpoint is about when you say what would happen to you because if you were outside the black hole watching david fall into the black hole oh we would see a significantly different experience than what David would see watching us. Huh. Which, when you on Earth, that's not really true. It's pretty much like if I'm watching you do something and you're watching me do the exact same thing, we don't, you wouldn't, other than, I mean, we could go off on like a long tangent about people's brain perceptions, but essentially you would, we would all see the same thing. Like right. you sitting in your seat, you sitting in your seat, my seat. We're all going to see if a... Different. Marble drop from the ceiling. We'd all see it drop. Yeah, a different vantage point, right. but the same physical thing. Is right. Happening. But that's not true in black holes because of the relative space-time continuum that gets stretched. So that's that's part of the concept that's kind of in your mind when you, I think, when you try to like wrap your head around the the concept of a black hole. It's not it like there's no end. We, there's no nothing to wrap it around because where do you go when you fall inside one? And like if you could zoom out, which is impossible to do because we can't look at the universe outside our universe because our universe is all encompassing. So you like can't get out of it. But like sometimes I, I feel like a black hole might be the ed if you could get outside of our universe, the black hole might be like the edge. Right. Right. Like the the way out. And there's lots of references in pop culture to that same concept. So it certainly is not an original thought. Because there's lots of lots of places in our pop in pop culture where a black hole is a space you could travel through to get somewhere else, whether right. it's like a different dimension or a different time. Um, one of my favorite uh, references is in the movie Interstellar. Mm. Have you seen this? I feel like I always get Interstellar <laughs> confused with another one. Is that one of the movies where Matt Damon is? Matt Damon's in it. He's like on this faraway planet and then he, but he lies. Yes. Like, so the concept of this movie, if you haven't seen it, is that Earth is at its end, right? Yes. Like there's, essentially we've ruined the planet. The only thing that will grow is corn and um, we're going to, we've run out of corn room essentially. So there's no food left. So we've got to find another planet to live on. And so they send out these pioneers to find planets and they wait for them to send signals back that says, thumbs up, come live with me. And so there's several plant people that have sent the thumbs up, come live with me signals. But one of them is on a planet that's actually inside the event horizon of a black hole. Ooh. And so they go that, but that's the closest one. So they decide to go to that one first. But the problem is they get to it and then this this is where the space-time continuum gets messed up because they decide to leave their main ship outside the horizon and send just like a small ship with two people or three people in it to go down to the surface of this planet. And every minute or every hour on the planet is actually seven years outside the event horizon. Whoa. So they end up being on the planet for much longer than they anticipated. And it turns out that the reason that the data was so strong, so on this planet, spoiler alert, this is not a good planet to live on. 
there are these giant waves that come and wipe out all of the population every like 15 minutes or something oh my gosh but wait that's seven years right so okay right so the reason that the that the person's data came back thumbs up was because when she landed by the time her data got back it was only like a couple of minutes on that planet by the time that we got the data and traveled all the way there and got there so it's like that space-time continuum stretching to infinity concept. Yeah, I don't think I that. saw that movie. <laughs> Maybe next time Matt Damon goes to space in fiction, we should just leave him there. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be work out yeah. well for anyone. Yeah, so he's on a different planet, but that's a, not a black hole situation. All right, good. Yeah. And then at the end of that movie, the way that he... So the way that Matthew McConaughey con- contacts his daughter in this movie is through the black hole. Oh. And so he actually like propels himself into the center and then in there he sees it's they've set up they being these like external but then it turns out to be the humans who made it is this giant library where the different floors of the library are actually years or centuries of the time on earth. So they like took time and made a physical structure out of it, which is really another really interesting piece of this movie that's fascinating. I think that there's just a constant theme in in pop culture that eventually we're going to just mess up the planet Mm. and need to go find somewhere else to live, (laughs) which is just awful. Yeah. Um, But probably true on some level. Yeah. Yeah, that should be another podcast probably. It's like climate change and the future of the planet. Totally. Yeah. Um, But I'm really curious with um, the advances that we make in in being able to see things, if we will get to a point where I I can't imagine sending a person into a black hole, but if if there's some way to send a camera or a telescope. Right. Or some kind of probe or something that's like hopefully the data will come back out and we'll sort of understand where it goes or what happens to it. Right. Yeah. So that would be, I think for us as humans, it would be incredible to sort of explore that space that's far out there in both in our, both in, in actual space, but also in our mind. It's like right on the edge of our capability to understand because it's so unpredictable and so uh unknown really right another favorite pop culture reference to black holes is in star trek we have star trek fans (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) this is where my my nerdiness the only star trek i ever really watched was the wrath of khan and it was because my sister was obsessed with that Mm. movie so i remember him going khan yeah the original khan was like amazing was yeah. was the original Khan the guy from Fantasy Island with the blonde hair? Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, I think yes. so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I loved Khan. But anyway, the <laughs> was that <laughs> the, Well, so the Romulans, okay. They travel through black holes to jump space. And so jump time, I mean. Yeah. So that's another like really popular reference to 
connecting time travel with black holes that like yeah maybe if you go into them you come out in a different time or dimension or dimension yeah and do you have any favorite references to black holes <laughs> i remember watching the movie the black hole which i think mm. may have been a disney movie i don't um, think i've ever seen it oh my <laughs> my husband just brought up vincent who's this i think android or robot um from from that movie i didn't really watch it because i lost my first tooth oh <laughs> while we were watching it and it was very traumatic um and i then i associated it with pain and blood <laughs> feeling slightly nauseous which is probably how you would feel watching someone go into a black yeah hole yeah that spaghettification time. i'm sure would be like mm. <laughs> um so i uh, I can't think of any specific references, um, but I, I like you, I, I associate them a lot with um, references to um, using it as a portal mm, to mm -hmm. another time, another um, dimension, or um, that jump from something pursuing you right, to right. a safe place. And even though I wasn't a Star Trek fan, maybe I can recover my sci-fi geek level with... Um, I loved the um, more. Well, not it's not current anymore. Like fifteen <laughs> years ago, uh, reimagining of Battlestar Galactica, and oh. I feel like there was a whole um, in the miniseries. There was, a, or maybe it was when it went to the actual series. There, there was a whole episode about them just jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping. Mm. And I assume that some of that was was basically at least yeah. the speed of light, if not through. Yep. Um, black holes but it's it's been a while so I don't remember the details and I tried to get David into watching it and he was like this is really my thing so what if we could um zoom out like through time like before the big bang or after the end of whatever this world holds like I often wonder if like black holes are sort of the key to that I think understanding I feel like they have to be yeah because, like, the Big Bang is still, like, well, we don't really know. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to, to conceive. We have some, like, data around us that, like, gives us hints about maybe what happened or where we're going. But, it, you know, it feels possible that this whole place evolved, like, exploded from a black hole, mm -hmm. right? That we were enclosed and just too much energy was in there and had to get released. And so that's sort of the beginning of this universe and what will be the beginning of the next one? That really big one we found, maybe. Maybe with the only activity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, and it, I mean, it, to me, it's just astounding to even know that we can observe things happening in black holes that, like, my parents and their grandparents mm. didn't even have any ability to even know that that that, that was out there. Right. So, right. This was a great topic, yeah. Jamie. So thanks for, for bringing this up. How should we end tonight? Um, well, I, I did, if it's all right with you, I wanted to um, go back to that article about um, yeah the, the tipping point for women women being in 2020. Um, and I'm, I know I'm going to say her name wrong. Um, so I'm just going to say Adriana G, uh, who's the founder and CEO of Girls in Tech. So let's just pause there for a second because I thought that said Ariana Grande. The light <laughs> is like right on the edge of her name for me. So <laughs> Adriana 
But I have to say, Ariana Grande is like one of my favorite hidden gem musicians. She's so funny. She's yeah. like unexpectedly funny, but I thought she was a font for like the first. <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's start this anyway, over. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the founder and CEO of Girls in Tech um, wrote an article, um, like an editorial, uh, about how 2020 can be a, a tipping point for women in STEM in tech crunch um, as a close of 2019. And uh, some of the, I mean, she pointed to some of the progress that's being made and how um, a number of organizations and companies are trying to get um, to uh 50 50 gender equality by by 2020 which hello um that's just a few short days away um but she points out that the tech industry uh, has really got a long way to go to hit that number and probably isn't going to come anywhere close until 2025 um but still 2025 if it's 2020 in a few years that that doesn't feel as grim as it might have um and and she does point out some great um progress in uh leadership positions that are focusing on diversity and inclusion um and she gives some great examples um leslie slayton brown of hp um who's actually been there for more than a, a decade um and uh twitter's vice president of diversity and inclusion Candy Castleberry Singleton. Um, so she says, um, companies are that are committed to embracing change, um, we can get there. Um, but she gives some great um, tips for uh, individuals um, mm-hmm. at, to close out the article. Um, and I, I'm just going to kind of go through the the bullet list, um, you can certainly read this on your own at TechCrunch. Um, recruit a personal advisory board of experienced professionals, which I think is so important um, and kind of harkens back to what we were saying earlier about, uh, you know, having that female role model in mm-hmm. front of you, having that um, person of color um, as a role model. Um, and it, it can be, it doesn't have to be like these big huge names it can be someone super close in your network that you have a connection to and she says to meet with them regularly um and they can help reality check when it comes to sticking with your um with your goals Uh, and then she gives some advice around looking for um employment with companies that actually do have those high culture scores um, and it's, it is surprising that, um, more and more sites are, are scoring companies on that. Um, even like Glassdoor and LinkedIn. Um, and then there's some advice that I think is really interesting and really hard to do. Speak up in the boardroom or conference room. Your ideas matter. Don't be afraid to share them and join the debate. And I think that's that's so important. And she's, she talks later in the room about how so many times women physically um, remove themselves from the table. Um, so if there's limited mm-hmm. seating in a conference room, they're more likely going to be sitting um, a- away from the table and against the wall. But that message that it sends um, is, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then also standing up to bullies. Um, and she actually does say that bullies come in many shapes and sizes, both women and men. Squashing bullies can be one of the hardest things to do in your um, professional life. Um, and give some good advice around how to handle uh, those bullies. I do think it's really interesting sometimes that women can be the worst bullies of other yeah women. of other women. It's really it, it can be so distracting too because you want to follow the be- the advice from the beginning, which is surround yourself with your board of directors or your executive board, uh, however you want to kind of put that into words. But you. It, it's difficult when the people who you are surrounded by or the ones who you're closest to are also um, are the bullies themselves, right. especially when they're if you're a woman and one of them is a woman or or a member of a minority class that you're trying to learn more and understand them, that that their perspective and then they become bullies. And that's that can be really difficult to overcome for for anyone, really. Right. Yeah. Um. One thing that she doesn't say about, um, which you kind of alluded to, that the people who are bullied can then become bullies, is I, mm-hmm. I, I think that it's, it's, it can be really difficult, especially in a workplace, to navigate that. But I think, um, I think sometimes just taking their perspective and, and trying to understand the, the, what led them to that behavior in the first place can sometimes help to overcome that. Yep. Um, but she also has some good advice around not softening um, your conversations, um, whether they're in um, email or um, in actual verbal conversations. Um, I'm really bad at the apology thing, so that's something <laughs> I'm going to work on in 2020. My husband's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm bad at the softening because I find myself... So I find myself, I will write an email and then I'll read it like four or five times and go back and change. Inevitably, every time I send an email, I'm changing the words around to be like, ooh, that's not, I want to soften that. I want that to feel more welcoming. I want that to feel more open, you know. So it's like a fine line between like being rigid or coming off as being um, like making a snap judgment and... But also making people feel like you're not listening to their, you know, not being open to their ideas as well. It's a very, very delicate dance. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> sorry for the segue, but um, so we did our disc assessments at work. Did I talk about this last time? I don't think on the podcast. Oh, but we did talk about cause it. Because I'm super obsessed with mine now because... Um, it basically it, it uh, grades you in in four quadrants and you, you have to take a really quick amount of time to take the test and and some of the questions um, you're kind of like well you'll most likely be kind of mm-hmm. like well none of these is a good answer um, but you have to pick the one that your gut says right and um, when I got my results back um, if you're over this midpoint line you're considered high and I'm high my high I'm highest in I which I believe is inspiration. And then my second highest is D, which is dominance. And I feel like 10 years ago, I would never have gotten a high D because I was always apologizing. And I still apologize a lot, but there's been this this sea change in myself mm-hmm. where now I'm like, nobody really knows what they're doing or what they're mm-hmm. talking about. So don't make yourself small. Just 
go ahead and say what you think. Right. It, it's not any, your opinion isn't any less valid. Right. Um, I, I mean, unless somebody's coming at you with, with data and, and research sure, or, sure. um, but it was funny because then we split into these groups based on what we were highest in and we were supposed to make, basically make a list of, um, how it, uh, we wanted the other quadrants to communicate right. with us and, understand and the very first thing that I said was well I think the motto in um the personal report that I got um in my communication checklist was be be brief be bright and be gone and I was like that's exactly how I want to be communicated because I can't stand it It, I I can ramble but I can't stand it when I mean (laughs) it's just so hypocritical but it's true um, and the other eye, some of the other eyes in the group were like horrified that I said that. <laughs> and, but the people in the group who were also high D's, um, for dominance were like, absolutely. That's yeah. exactly right. So it was really, really fascinating to me to understand not just how it, it gave us all a com- common language to talk to each other, but, um, it was also really, really interesting how, um, the people who were across the room, which in some ways were supposed to be the kind of like the furthest from you, right. you would find what you have in common. And I don't really know much about the science of these personality tests, but um, it was it was really fascinating to me about the, the dominance um, and how everybody seemed to think that their personality type was getting picked on. Yeah. Um, but this was a long long-winded rambling way to get back to (laughs) there have been a few times in my working career in in the very recent past where I've sent an email that was very um no don't do this yeah Um, please don't do this anymore and it's kind of come back and as oh you were a little harsh um and I I kind of look at and and tend to to counterpoint back but what was harsh this is very clear and plain English. Right, right. It just wasn't sugar-coated. Right. Um, so it, it it is really interesting if you stop softening um, how that can be perceived mm-hmm. sometimes. So I think right. it's a very, very delicate dance. Yeah, especially comparing it to other people that you interact with because I definitely will get emails from um, coworkers who that are like very short, one word, you know, just to the point, either no, yes, don't do this, don't agree. And... I get very sensitive thinking of myself answering that way. And I yeah. think like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. I need to, it needs to be softer for me. And I, so that, that advice is definitely something that I will take into 2020. Yeah. So I think we're coming up on the end of our hour. Um, we're going to try to get this posted before 2020. So um, we'll get the links that we referenced up in the blog post and any of our listeners <laughs> you can tell us what you're planning to do to um help make 2020 a tipping point absolutely i'd say not just for women in stem but yeah for all the um voices and people in stem who yeah we, we need to hear more from yep and now i feel like i just softened that <laughs> so now let's go back to 2020 <laughs> tipping point for women yeah all right. <laughs> so until next time. Yeah. Thanks to our sound editor, David. <laughs> and our intern, Drew Baca. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Um, we will next time we talk. We will. It will be a new, new year. Year, but not a new decade. That doesn't start till twenty twenty one. Anyway, <laughs> year zero. <laughs> and on that controversial yeah, note, we'll end here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for.